I invite you this morning to turn with me, if you would, to the book of Psalms once again. We have some visitors with us this morning, and so I'm going to say once again what you have heard me say, and that is that we are in a mini-series of sorts. In the Psalter, we have looked at three psalms so far in this mini-series, something I'm calling Pilgrim Songs, something for our playlist, our summer playlists. And the three psalms that we've looked at so far as we've jumped around the Psalter have been focused, I think, largely on responding to what is out there, out there. Sheltering from the storm, a storm brought about by, by our enemies, tasting God's goodness and, and longing for God's justice in an unjust world with unjust actions. And then last week, talking to our own souls as we wrestle with the distance we feel from God. It's been good and necessary, I think, for us to to focus on these things, to focus on the brokenness of our world, the response of our heart, the the depression that we feel, the injustice that we endure. But life is hard, not simply because our world out there is broken and evil, but it's hard also because of what's in here, what's in our hearts. And so just like last week, the psalm that I began studying during the week is not the psalm that I ended up with at the end of the week, but it's a song that I needed, I felt like needed to be part of this series, needed to be part of our playlist. To be frank, this is a psalm, before we even read it, it's a psalm about remembering failure, Remembering failure not to wallow in it, but to exalt grace. Psalm 106 is in the middle of a historical triad of Psalms, beginning with verse, or excuse me, beginning with Psalm 105, ending with Psalm 107. I realize that a lot of us don't get jazzed with history, but this is God's story. This is God redeeming a people for himself. And so I want to read the psalm. It's a lengthy psalm. We're not going to cover everything in this psalm in its entirety, but I am going to read the entire psalm. And if you're able, I'd invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. Psalm 106, the entire psalm, verses 1 through 48. Listen as I read. Praise the Lord. O give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Who can utter the mighty deeds of the Lord or declare all his praise? Blessed are they who observe justice, who do righteousness at all times. Remember me, O Lord, when you show favor to your people. Help me when you save them, that I may look upon the prosperity of your chosen ones, that I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation, that I may glory with your inheritance." Both we and our fathers have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedness. Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea, at the Red Sea. Yet he saved them 
For his name's sake, that he might make known his mighty power, he rebuked the Red Sea, and it became dry, and he led them through the deep as through a desert. So he saved them from the hand of the foe and redeemed them from the power of the enemy, and the waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them was left, and then they believed his words, and they sang his praise. But they soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel. But they had a wanton craving in the wilderness, and they put God to test in the desert. He gave them what they asked, but sent a wasting disease among them. When men in the camp were jealous of Moses and Aaron, the Holy One of the Lord, the earth opened and swallowed up Dathan and covered the company of Abiram. Fire also broke out in their company. The flame burned up the wicked. They made a calf in Oreb and worshipped a mental a metal image. They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. Therefore, he said he would destroy them. Had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to turn away his wrath from destroying them? Then they despised the pleasant land, having no faith in His promise. They murmured in their tents. They did not obey the voice of the Lord. Therefore, He raised His hand and swore to them that He would make them fall in the wilderness and would make their offspring fall among the nations, scattering them among the lands. Then they yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor and ate sacrifices offered to the dead. They provoked the Lord to anger with their deeds, and a plague broke out among them. Then Phinehas stood up and intervened, and the plague was stayed. And that was counted to him as righteousness from generation to generation forever. They angered him at the waters of Meribah, and it went ill with Moses on their account, for they made his spirit bitter, and he spoke rashly with his lips. They did not destroy the peoples, As the Lord commanded them, but they mixed with the nations and learned to do as they did. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. They poured out innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. Thus they became unclean by their acts and played the whore in their deeds." Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against His people, and He abhorred His heritage. He gave them into the hands of the nations so that those who hated Him, them ruled over them. Their enemies oppressed them, and they were brought into subjection under their power. Many times He delivered them, but they were rebellious in their purposes, were brought low through their iniquity. Nevertheless, He looked upon their distress when He heard their cry. For their sake He remembered His covenant and relented according to the abundance of His steadfast love. He caused them to be pitied by all those who held them captive. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the nations that we may give thanks to Your holy name and glory in Your praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. You maybe remember the story, those of you who know the Scriptures well, know the Gospels well. It's recorded for us in the book of Luke. Luke describes her as a a woman of the city. Jesus was reclined 
at the house of a Pharisee, and this woman came to Jesus, and she was weeping. And she anointed him with, with oil, and she wiped his feet with her hair, with her tears. She was honoring Jesus, the Messiah, in such a bold and, and vulnerable way. And what happens? His host, the Pharisee, objects. Why would you let her do this? And Jesus says this, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. It's that last phrase that I want us to think about. He who is forgiven little loves little. Do we know how much we have been forgiven? Do we remember from where we have come? What God has done for us? Or like the Pharisee, do you feel pretty good about your past? Pretty good about your presence, present. Pretty good about your anticipated performance in the future. You see, the Pharisee needed forgiveness just as much as the woman who was broken before Jesus. And yet I confess that I am too easily and too often a Pharisee. I'm the older brother in the parable of the lost sons. I think about my upbringing in the church as a, a covenant kid. I don't really feel like I'm that hard to love. I've never committed any crime, never been arrested, never been drunk. Charles Spurgeon, the 19th century English preacher, once said, too many think lightly of sin and therefore think lightly of the Savior. Brothers and sisters, that's why we need Psalm 106. That's why we're thinking and meditating on Psalm 106. Because Psalm 106 is a gospel psalm that reminds us of our record of failure and the trail of grace and the surprise of grace that is ours through God's mercy shown us in Jesus Christ. Two things for us to meditate on as we walk through this psalm for a few minutes. And the first one is this. Your past is a mess. Your past is a mess. Of course, I'm including myself in that as well. We live in an interesting age in more than one ways, don't we? We, we live in an age where when politicians in our nation, in our country, as soon as politicians enter the spotlight, they experience this, this dredging of their past. You know what a dredger is? That's kind of a big word, kids. You know what a dredger is? A dredger is one of these 
one of these big tools that sits on top of a water, a body of water, and has a big crane with some kind of cleaning mechanism in it. It digs down to the bottom of whatever waterway this is, a river, a stream, and it, it cleans the muck from the bottom, whether it be debris, whether it be carving a, a better pathway for large ships. Our politicians get dredged when they enter the spotlight. The scouring of high school yearbooks begins. The scouring of social media accounts and everything that was ever posted of past relationships, especially the nasty ones. The psalmist, in a sense, is dredging Israel's past, isn't he? Remembering and recalling their failure, acknowledging their sin, not for the purpose of shame, but actually for the glory of God's name. And that's what I hope to show us this morning. Yes, this psalm is about Israel. It's about Israel's history, but it's about ours as well. Begins with this confession in verse 6. Look at it with me. This confession of Three words, our fathers have sinned, we have committed iniquity, we have done wickedness. Over the course of three periods of Israel's history, the exodus from Egypt, their wandering in the wilderness, and the beginning of their time in the promised land, Israel commits sin after sin after sin. Eight sins are listed here in Psalm 106. Each of these sins could be a sermon in and of themselves, but we're just going to hit four of them, meditating on how they intersect with our own past. The first one is this, your past is a mess. Israel's past is a mess, first because of the sin of unbelief. We see this in verses 7 through 12, and again in verses 24 through 27. They had just witnessed 10 incredible supernatural miracles brought about by God through the hand of Moses, culminating in not only their release from Egypt, but their plundering of Egypt, this nation that had long held them captive. Exodus 12, 36 is one of these amazing little verses. The Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. They plundered the Egyptians. Can you imagine? They took everything. Gold, silver, clothing. These people who 24 hours earlier were cracking a whip over their back, suddenly when asked, they would freely give their stuff, their riches. And yet here, already at the Red Sea, barely beginning their journey, they have already forgotten. Exodus 14 documents that when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted their eyes. Behold, the Egyptians were marching, and they feared greatly. It's interesting when, it's interesting to note that the Lord here in our psalm calls this forgetfulness, rebellion. That's what it's called here. This is not mere innocent inquiry into the mind of God. This is doubt upon the sovereignty and goodness of God. What have you done in bringing us out 
of Egypt, God's people says. Unbelief. And so the question before us is, what about us? What about our past and our hearts? At its core, unbelief is the opposite of faith in God, isn't it? It's misplaced faith. And in some ways, it's the root of all of our sin. We don't believe that God is going to care for us. We just don't believe that He could possibly be for us in this situation, whatever that situation is. And so, we worry. We worry about the clothes we're going to wear. We worry. And in doing so, we say that God is not going to provide. Worry looks for control. Worry says, if I can imagine the worst, I will be prepared for what I don't know. And your heavenly Father says to you this morning, you don't need to be prepared because I will care for you in the grandest events of life and death and in the mundane moments that shape your life. Just believe me. Remember me. We fear as if we were orphans, as if we were all alone. And yet Psalm 103 says, as a father shows compassion to his children, the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. And so God, our God, says, believe me. Remember me. Remember who I am. Remember who you are, who I have made you to be. And don't fear. That's the first sin. The second is this, the sin of discontentment. And we see this in verses 13 through 15. It wasn't enough that God's people were free, that they had just witnessed two walls of water stand up for them so they could part and walk through the sea. It wasn't enough that it was literally raining bread, enough to feed thousands upon thousands of people. No, they didn't remember those things. Instead, Numbers says they remembered the fish that they ate in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. And they said, give us meat, Lord. And they say, be careful of what you ask for because you might get it. And they got it. They got meat and more. God gave them meat in the form of quail, and His judgment against their discontentedness resulted in the burials of those who grumbled. Discontentment. In our day and age, and we've talked about this before from other passages, it's been called the, the greener grass conspiracy. If only is the mantra of this sin. If only blank, then I would be happy. If only blank, then I would be truly happy. If only blank, then I would be safe and secure. If only blank. How easy it is for us to struggle in a world that has so much and that focuses so much on what it has. God desires that His portion be enough for us. And of course, brothers and sisters, this is a, this is a matter of the, the heart. This is something that is, is learned 
Paul states that to the Philippian church. I have learned to be content. And how did he learn? By walking with Jesus, by putting these certain promises before him. Not letting God fade to the shadows as we become fixated on something else. And so the Lord says, start here. Ultimately, you don't know what's best for you. God doesn't owe you anything, and yet God doesn't withhold anything from those whom He loves. And those promises can undergird us and drive us to contentment, no matter what's going on. Jeremiah Burroughs, a Puritan, wrote a book on contentment, and he says this, he defines Christian contentment as this, that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. The sin of discontentment. The third sin, the sin of idolatry, verses 19 through 20. Three, this is a story that's so familiar to to many of us. Moses' time on the Mount of Sinai made the people impatient, and they couldn't wait to hear from God. And so they made one of their own. And the psalmist almost mocks God's people, one that eats grass, verse 20. Scriptures have a, a, a bite to it here, a cynical bite you're going to choose something to worship, surely you can choose something better than a grass-eating cow. And yet our idolatry is not rational. We're good at making ultimate things out of the good things that God has given us. We don't need golden calves. We don't need wooden figurines. We've got our careers. We've got our reputations. We've got our toys, we've got our comfort, we've got our security, we've got our families and even our children. The ox worship of long ago is not so bizarre when we compare it to some of the things that we put in the place of the Lord. And so, the Lord challenges our idolatry. And then finally, the sin of accommodation, verses 34 through 39. Commanded to rid the land of its inhabitants, the people of God chose rather to commit spiritual adultery. Abandoning the Lord who had done all these things for the idols of their neighbors. They let the world around them define their story and fill their lives. Let me say that again. They let the world around them define their story and fill their lives. Surely we don't have a problem with this today. Yes, we do. Will we let the world define our love and our priorities? Will we let the world define God's design? For the things in our world, 
This doesn't mean that we need to to make those who don't believe act like those who don't believe. Those who disregard God will stay in their sin unless God changes their hearts. What Israel failed to do and what we must not fail to do as the church is to let the infiltration of the world and its ideals come into this place and come into this people. The sin of unbelief, the sin of discontentment, the sin of idolatry, the sin of accommodation. Remember, forget, remember, forget what a history God's people experience here and is recalled here. It's not that hard. It's not that hard for us to do the same thing that Israel did time and time again. Your past is a mess. But this psalm is not ultimately about your past or about Israel's past. This psalm is ultimately about God and about God's amazing grace. And that's the second truth. God pursues his own with grace. Like a scarlet thread running through a sheet of black, grace weaves its way through this psalm. Yes, the people forget. Yes, we forget. We forget God. But we read in verse 45, God remembered. He remembers. He always will remember. And so all throughout this psalm, what I want you to see sprinkled all throughout this psalm on a human level is someone standing in the gap. The provision of an intercessor. First, it was Moses in verse 23. Fueled by his anger against the idolatry of his people, the Lord tells Moses on Mount Sinai that he will consume them and make a great nation out of Moses. And Moses pleads, and he says this Turn from your burning anger, relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham and Isaac and Israel, your servants whom you swore by your own self. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Moses is given. And then in verse 30, Phinehas This is a lesser known story than that of Moses. Phinehas was Aaron's grandson, therefore he was a future high priest of Israel. In response to the Baal worship found in Numbers 25 and all the sexual immorality that accompanied the worship of this idol, Phinehas, rightly concerned about the honor of God, took matters into his own hands. Some of you remember this story when an immoral couple flaunted their union before Moses and his people. Phinehas went to the man's house And he speared them both for the honor of the Lord. And the Lord says this in Numbers 25, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned back my wrath from the people of Israel, and that he was jealous with my jealousy among them, so that I did not consume the people of Israel in my jealousy. 
You see, Phineas succeeded in preventing further death for the people of Israel, but the damage had already been done. There's nothing that Phineas could do about future rebellion. Moses' actions on Mount Sinai saved thousands of people, saved thousands of lives, but 3,000 still died with countless others to fall by the plague. There's got to be something better. And you know where I'm going with this and where the psalm points us is that these men, these intercessors, were merely shadows. A grace was promised and was coming. An eternal one who is able to cover our past, our present, and even our future. Unbelief, idolatry, discontentment, accommodation are all present temptations that we struggle with still and need to strive to turn from and repent from. But Jesus has taken the judgment for all these things upon himself once and for all. And so hear this. This may be the most important thing I say. The Lord isn't interested in dredging up your past in order to rub it in, in order to discredit you in some way. No, He wants to remove your past as far as the east is from the west. And he has, if you cling to his son. But Psalm 106 is a reminder that he doesn't want us to forget where we have come from. He doesn't want us to forget who we are now or what our God has done for us. Your past is a mess, yes, but God pursues his own with his grace. Rest in the gospel. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the truths contained here. We thank you for the reminder of your provision for your people, a people undeserving, a people forgetful, a people rebellious again and again and again, and yet into that comes your steadfast love, your covenant faithfulness, your grace shown in the person of Jesus. As your people walk from this place, may they be challenged in their own temptation to these things, May they be given grace by your Spirit to walk in integrity and in righteousness. But ultimately, may they be given grace to rest in the Son, the one who has paid it all, that we might have life, that we might have freedom. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.